Well, hey, Lisa, how are you? Hey, I am well. I'm really happy to be here with you today. Well, I'm excited to have you as well. Um, you and I met through sort of an Instagram connection, um, and I'm super excited for you to share your story because you've definitely, when you think about entering uh, in your later 40s, early 50s into something new, you have definitely niched down on a super interesting market. And so I want to give you a chance to just quickly up, uh, introduce yourself and what you do. And then we're going to dig deep into uh, everything that Lisa Boat is, is up to. So go ahead. That's great. Well, thank you. And thank you for making this space for women to share their stories, because the more our voices are heard, the more powerful they become. So I'm really grateful to you for doing that. So well, thank, thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the it's the best facilitating women's stories and conversation. Uh, yeah, so I was an educator for 20 years. So, you know, I grew up as many of us did in the age and the time that we did where there was really, there was one path, there was one way of existence and it really looked like school, career, family, whatever configuration that was for you, that was the way. And I played by all the rules. I did everything exactly the way that had been laid out for me that had been pro deeply programmed into me that this was the one and only way of doing things. And for a long time, I was mostly happy with that. I mean, I had always wanted to be a mother. That was something that was born in me, that, that caregiving, that being, that role was really important. So that part I was happy with. And I was never completely satisfied in my career. When I look back now and really think about what I know to be true for myself at this phase, I was giving myself away constantly. Wow. In the early part of my career, I didn't ever feel like I belonged. I was always trying to find a way to shift a system that did not want to shift to be a place where I felt like I could be myself, where I felt like I could be comfortable. And eventually, after 20 years of doing that in a wide variety of different roles throughout the education system, a time came where I was crying in my car on the way home from school every day. Mm -hmm. And I was good at what I did. I was an excellent educator. I had been in a leadership position and it didn't matter that I was good at it anymore. It didn't matter that I loved the children who were in my learning community. That part wasn't enough anymore to make me feel like it was a place where I could stay and that I could still recognize myself. And I say recognize myself because the real realization happened one day when I looked at myself in the mirror and it was like I was wearing a mask. And I didn't see myself anymore. I just saw this mask that I had created that I had to wear every day to be able to go in and do what needed to be done. And that became too energy expensive. It became too crushing to my soul to be able to continue with that anymore. So I took a six week leave to come back to myself and to get a little bit of clarity. 
And while I was on that leave, in just those six weeks, about three weeks into it, my oldest son looked at me and he said, oh, there you are. And I had this moment of realizing they also were only seeing the mask. Mm -hmm. And so wearing that mask wasn't in service to myself. It wasn't in service to the work that I was putting into the universe. And it was not in service to my family. And so I went back and I finished out the year. And then I decided that I was going to take a year's leave and work at building something new where I could look at myself in the mirror and I could see myself again. Mm -hmm. And so that has been the journey of this year has been healing myself, building community, learning all kinds of new things about myself, things I didn't ever think I would be able to do, but have and I officially resigned from my school board in June, and I'm fully committed to this new life because now when I look in the mirror, I see myself. Wow. Okay, so there's a lot there, and I loved everything of it because I think that everybody can find themselves in that story. It's so interesting. So you decided, okay, so I, 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 you took six weeks off. And within the third week, your son says to you, I see you. So, you know, maybe that was something that had, like, had he learned that through from you? Or was that just something that he just came up with on his own? I think, I mean, he's a really empathic kid. I always say he was actually born a 50-year-old man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he came into this yeah. world <laughs> a little bit of an adult. And so there were elements of of him having that awareness and i also think that that he was able to see the mask he knew he could sense he could feel that there was something there that wasn't what he remembered me being mm -hmm. right because uh, when we have young and small children i remember being more myself at that time because quite honestly my career wasn't my focus they were Mm -hmm. And they also, because I was an educator, they also had summers with me. So they often would joke about, and my partner as well, the difference between summer mom <laughs> and regular mom, and mm -hmm. like school year mom. And so he knew what my true self felt like. He knew what my real energy mm -hmm. felt like. And he had, I think he had seen it be worn away. Because I also didn't hide from them or mm -hmm. from my partner what was happening to me in the workplace. Because uh, this is a road we maybe didn't talk about going down, yeah. but being a mother <laughs> of boys, of men, I felt a real responsibility to them. And I was the only woman in the house, right? So it's myself, my partner, and my two, my two male children. I live in a house of men. And I felt, I felt this need to make sure that they understood the female experience. I did mm -hmm. not want, I wanted these men to be men that I would want to be my partner. I wanted them to be men who would stand up for women and anybody who was marginalized or oppressed in this world. So I didn't hide from them the what happened to me in a system that is patriarchal and run by men. I wanted them to see that. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted them to deeply so understand it. Let's talk a little bit about that. So first I want to talk, what is, when you say the mask, like obviously it mm-hmm. wasn't just something that happened and you put the mask on mm-hmm. kind of thing. It was like, it was over time. So mm-hmm. what were the feelings that, you know, you, you, you've, you know, you, you've, you've packaged up your feelings into one word, which is mask. But mm-hmm. what, what were those feelings? Like what, what were you feeling that you finally made that decision that, wow, I don't even, I, I'm, I'm not even that person. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm not that person. Um, and so I'm wearing this mask, but what are the feelings that you felt that made you feel that you were wearing this mask? Mm-hmm. It's a really great question with a complicated answer that has mm-hmm. a similar, that has some layers. So the emotions are exhaustion, mm-hmm. frustration, rage, Mm-hmm. And those are emotions that we're not taught how to hold and process and harness. Mm-hmm. And so the mask was disconnection mm-hmm. because my body was too painful to be in. Mm-hmm. And I, I have identified that pattern over my life. I, I can look back in pictures now over, you know, the span of my young adulthood and adulthood and be able to see points in time where I know, Oh, I'm wearing that mask. I'm completely disconnected from my body here because Mm -hmm. everything I was feeling, I felt either shame about feeling, or I just didn't have the capacity to feel, or I didn't know how. And so I unplugged Mm -hmm. and I wasn't living in my body. And that's why I didn't recognize myself because it was only the physical me that was looking mm-hmm. back in the mirror and the actual essence of me was elsewhere. So do you think it was because you were piling on all these responsibilities that we often, like you talked earlier about, like there was only one way when you were growing up, there was one way it was go to school, go to high school, go to university, maybe, or maybe not find your boyfriend or get married to your boyfriend or your, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And then have the kids and and you said you you were very maternal so you wanted to have kids but would you have had the kids at the earlier in this stage like just sort of like that stereotypical way and then is that does that rage those those things that are that you were that was happening to you that caused this sort of mask was it because you were carrying these responsibilities that maybe you necessarily didn't really sign up for if you will I think that is part of it. I think as women, there is, you know, I just, I just saw the Barbie movie last night and whatever you think it's going to be, it's not. It's an America Ferrera. Her character has this monologue. And the very first thing she says is, you know, it's impossible to be a woman. The expectations that you be successful, that you be maternal, that you have a beautiful home, but that you don't spend too much time doing it, that you make your everything perfect for your kids, but that you give them enough space, like the dichotomy, the duality, the duality is the word that I want to use, is so strong for women that you have to be all things mm-hmm. and none of those things all at the same time. That's right. And that is what became exhausted because I was trying to be all things to all people mm-hmm. to look like I was successful, like I was happy, like I was doing what I was called to do, like I was 
being good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of my healing journey, I did a lot of work with my own coach around that word good and what it means Mm -hmm. to be a good woman. So what what society, what we've been programmed to understand as being a good woman versus what I know to be myself, what is good about myself. Mm -hmm. And what was good about myself is what I had to hide and deny as an educator. And I had to abandon and I had to do things that were, that went against everything that I knew to be true. And I had to do those things, those actions on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And you can only deny yourself and go against what you know to be deeply true for so long before your body starts to poke. Yeah. Because what ended up happening, not only was I crying on the way home from work every day, but my body also was starting to break down. Mm-hmm. My, I had severe back issues. Um, I had uh, something happening in my shoulder that was so tense that I started having a tremor in my, in my arm and hand. To the point where I couldn't hold a glass of water without holding it with both hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I when I started and made a new decision, it was within six weeks that that tremor went away. Yeah. You know, they, they say, well, they, I mean, you read a lot about how energy is really what is causing your pains and illnesses. And it's the energy that you're surrounded with, that you're bringing, that you're thinking. You know, so... I want to go back to, so you, you took the six weeks off. What process did you use to know that then you needed to take a a year leave and really sort of figure out what was sort of next for you? It was no, when I looked in the mirror and I saw myself again, Mm -hmm. that it was that, it was that process. It was rest. Mm -hmm. It was, I found a creative outlet that I loved. I started baking bread like everybody did during COVID, but I started doing it later. Uh, I started baking bread and there was this real um, visceral healing property of having my hands in the dough, which I know sounds a little bit woo-woo, but it really brought me back to some roots around what I really loved to do. It was creative. It was scientific. It was... It was a lot of things that allowed me to unplug my brain from everything that it was always constantly working on and mm-hmm. just be able to focus on this one thing. So that was, that was part of the healing and the rest and the slower pace of my life. And in living that way, I realized I didn't like the way I was living. Mm-hmm. I was doing mm-hmm. it because I felt like I had to. You know, when I work with when I work with clients, one of the questions I ask them when I feel like they're starting to be ready is, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Because that's not a question that we're that we are asked. There's or or that we ask ourselves ourselves. ever, ever. And we can say what like, what do I want? But it's really hard to figure that out if you don't have something like some sort of system or process to follow mm-hmm. um, where, you you know, you've got that time. You know, it's interesting that you talk about like your hands in the dough and that you just were able to just like be present. And I think that's kind of what you were alluding to there is just that you were finally just able to be present because you didn't have all these different 
expectations and pressures on you. And I, I know for myself, I felt that exact same way. I mean, I raised my kids full time, 100% of the time uh, for almost 19 years. And there was just so much I was giving from an empty cup all of the time. And I actually got to a point in my life where, you know, I think everything just came crashing and burning. I think I, when I turned 50, I had every single symptom possible for menopause plus. And I, I think what I realized is I had been living this life and that became my baseline of just responding to everybody's needs, to everybody like work and the people at work and, you know, the being delivering on those things. And then, okay, running home and getting kids to soccer and getting to dance and, and then figuring that out. And then, oh, I got to go get groceries. And then I've got to make the beds and then the laundry. And it just becomes your baseline. And I don't think that you realize that your body is just, your adrenal glands are just spent and, then that's when, like you said, your body just started to shut down and, you know, you started to have these pains and injuries. And I think the fact that you became so present and to understand that is amazing. And I think there's a lot of women out there that they don't. We just live with that baseline that we've always known. And when people ask, are you stressed out? Well, wow, you seem to have, I know, I know I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed. But actually you are, but it's just that you've lived that way for so long that you don't know anything else. You know, it's crazy. It is. And we also use it as a numbing technique mm -hmm. because when you can, when we lean into the busy and this hectic pace, then we numb what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. So many women, when I'm working with them, so well, I'll ask them that question. What do you want? But also we work with like, who are you? Mm -hmm. And more often than not, the answer is, I don't know. And I don't know if I have ever known. And you know, that's super interesting. You're saying that because that's what I wanted to ask you. It's like you were looking in the mirror and then you saw yourself again. I saw me and I thought, well, how did you know? Like, how did you know? And I think it goes to that question. Who are you? How did you know that that wasn't you anymore? And then you finally realized, okay, this is me now. It is is that's a really good question and it is a matter of energy really I, when mm -hmm. i was able when i looked at myself again there was light in my eyes mm -hmm. there was a deeper sense of breath there just it was i could see the face mm -hmm. of the person who i always knew i i wanted to be or who i always was mm -hmm. um another question i i will ask people is was there ever a time where you felt really embodied, where you mm -hmm. felt like you knew who you were, where you felt okay. like you were in your body? And mm -hmm. for me, I was 17 years old. I was working at the summer camp that I had always wanted to work at. It had been my goal. And I was laying, it was staff training week. So there weren't kids there. It was just staff. And I just laid down on the grass and had my hands and the sun on my face. And I was so in my body and aware. My senses were aware of everything. I can still feel those blades of grass underneath my hands. I can still feel the warmth of the sun. I can still feel, smell the cut grass. I can still feel when my friend came, the shadow of my friend came over me and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like I am being. 
Mm-hmm. I am here in this moment being, and so much of the rest of my story of the rest of my life has been trying to get back to that 17 year old girl. I love it. I love it. I love that. And I think that everybody should do that. Like just to go and find that time, go back in time to that one moment that was your happy place and try to like exactly what you just said, just feel it and then be able to live like that moving forward. You know, one thing I wanted to tell you is I wrote in my journal the other day, I've been in Vancouver for uh, a little over a month and just because I'm thinking, well, maybe do I want to live here, et cetera. And I've been really trying to be super present. And when I'm walking down the street, like, how am I feeling right now? What, who, like, what are the people look like? What are they doing? How does the energy feel? But the one thing that I feel, it's really crazy, is like this unknown anxiety. And I feel like, is it just because I, I can't, I can't put my finger on it yet, but is it just, I don't know, just the consumerism and the consumption, like right now I'm living more in a smaller air, the smaller town and it's a little more sort of casual vibes. And I, and, and then you come to the big city and I feel like, Oh, this is just not what I want anymore. This big city life. And of, again, the consumerism and consumption just kind of stresses me out, but then what else is it? You know what? And it, I think it goes back to that. What do I want? And what do, you know, and then who, who am I? And I don't think that's a, I think that's a perpetual answer and response. Like, I think it just keeps growing because what I was and what I wanted and who was I a year ago or two years ago, I think is different and I'm evolving. And I think that we also have to remember that as well, is that we will evolve over time as we continue to get those things that we want. Okay. I want to go back to, you then took the year off. How and what did you like? Where did you come up with the idea? I know you're gonna you talk a little bit about your podcast and your um, your program for women. Um, so let's first talk about like, all right. So you've got this year off. How did you get organized to even get started on figuring <laughs> out some ideas for you to go with? There's a couple answers to that question. So one. I don't feel like I figured anything out. It just was because at the same time that I was having this realization around my career of this is not how I want to live anymore. I also had a realization that my children who were my, my kids now are 18. My oldest just graduated from high school. They're 18 and 16. So this is about a year ago. So they're a year younger. And I, had this realization of, well, shit, I'm in a phase of my life I never even knew existed. Mm -hmm. Because as I said earlier, you know, we have that narrative that's really clearly written for us up to young family career, whatever that looks like. And then there's nothing after that. Kids go to college and now what am I supposed to be doing? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like the story is kids go to college and then you retire, but that's about them. That's not about me. Mm -hmm. And there's this equal and opposite reaction that happens to everything that happens in the lives of our children. Right. So they leave and I am left with a sense of deep sense of grief. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am excited for them and for their lives. And I am proud of the humans that they are becoming. And 
now I am left with, and, and now what's, who am I? Again, that question, who am I now? And I feel this sense of loss. Mm-hmm. And as I was sitting with that, and I started having conversations with other women in my life about that, everybody was saying, yeah, I feel the same way. Or many people were saying that. And it's not a narrative that exists particularly within our society. There aren't women at our phase of life coming forward and saying, this has happened. This is how I'm responding. I'm really sad. This hurts and it's painful. And I also feel like I am wise and I have gifts and strengths and a voice that needs to be heard but there's no place for my voice to be heard. And for the Okay, really, I have to just stop you for a second because there's so much that you just said there that is so true. First of all, women, we don't talk about a lot of things. Like we don't have a lot of what I like to call pillow talk <laughs> with our girlfriends, which is the most craziest thing in the world. Like I remember when I turned 50, I, I mentioned earlier, like I had every single symptom possible and I thought, holy cow, I should be writing a book for every 30-year-old out there right now saying the shit I wish I would have known in my 30s about turning 50 because uh-huh. I didn't know any of this was going to happen. And, you know, you start talking to your girlfriends like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, me too, me too. I'm like, why are we not talking about this stuff? So that's the, the, you know, the menopausal stuff. Yeah. And, then, and then there's this, you know, when you were describing your story of, of grief, like, that's so true. I, during COVID... Uh, my son has been with me since he was like three months old by, you know, that's when my ex and I uh, broke up. And, you know, because of COVID and certain things, he had to actually go and live with his dad full time for the first time ever in his life. And he was about 17, 18 at that time. And honest to God, I got so depressed. I, I couldn't tell if it was COVID related or what it was, but I did mention this to uh, my friend I feel like I'm grieving a death. Like what is going on? And it's just, I, it's so interesting. I love hearing that you're saying that because I thought, am I the only one that's feeling like that? Like all my other friends, they've never once said that, but I honest to God, I thought, holy cow, I feel like I've lost him forever. And then I've lost my life. I've lost my whole purpose. Like I coined myself as this mom hustler for 19 years. And now I was grieving that identity as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is the grief of that identity, right? We, we know what it looks like to be a young mom. We know what that, that role is very well represented in our, in our culture, in our, in our society. So when I think back to when my kids were little, it was energy expensive and it was hard and I was tired all the time, but I also was secure in the knowledge that this was a role that I understood. Now, I also realized that that is not everyone's motherhood experience. Like again, motherhood is so individual for so many people. And I think it is fairly universal though, that we know there are so many stories about what it looks like. So I was able to be really secure in that. And then when my children were really becoming their own 
entities and humans in the world and didn't need me in the same way. And suddenly I grieved that identity and I had no idea what this next part would look like. I hadn't seen it anywhere. Right. So, okay. So you're, so you're going through these emotions and grieving and then still wanting to hang on to that mom, because I, I definitely know we're going to get into this part of the conversation of where, okay, well, they don't need me as much, but I'm going to find other ways that they will need me. <laughs> I am going to keep hold of you. <laughs> you know, it, it's gone from like calling every day to like, all right, I'm, I'm lucky if I get a phone call once a month. Sometimes I have to send a text. Okay, I'm going to cut you off if you don't start calling your mom. Like it's just things like that. I, jokingly, yeah. jokingly. But, you know, we hold on to... We, because we haven't thought, like you said, you know, we haven't thought about what is this next sort of stage, season, chapter, whatever we want to call it. Um, we've never made a plan. And that's another thing I, I had this aha during this moment in COVID was I had not thought beyond my kids. And okay, when he goes to university, then what am I going to do? I, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll figure that out later because it's a few more years, a few more years, but I hadn't really even had a vision for it. So there you are with a year off of work, you're, you're grieving, you're, you're, you know, you're finding yourself, you're, you know, you're seeing yourself again. What, where's, where are the ideas coming from? And, and so what you were talking about, about trying to find different ways to be in your kids' lives, I think that's maybe where I divest a little bit because for whatever reason, I've always had a really strong sense of self-worth and self-value. And so when I started having these realizations of, I don't know what comes next, my next thought was, well, I need to figure it out. And I deserve for this next part to be great. Wow. And okay. Hold on a second, because not every woman is thinking that way. And mm -hmm. bravo to you for having such great self-worth and self realization for that because yeah I I I feel like when we get a little bit you know even like a lot of the women I've spoken to as they start to enter into their 50s they start to lose their confidence you know they they starting you know and, and it's for various different reasons we don't need, really need to get into all of those but they start to lose their confidence and then they start to think well I don't know can I do this? Do I deserve that? I mean, you know, maybe I wasn't that great of a mom or I'm carrying some mom guilt and I want to go back and fix those errors of, of, of whatever. And I don't know, I, I, good for you for thinking that, but I want to get to your business because I want to, yeah. I want you to give me some examples of your clients. Um, because personally speaking, I don't know if I did feel that. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I felt like it's my turn. But I felt like, well, but do I really like what? Well, what does that even mean? My my turn. It's my turn to do what, and and yeah, do I really deserve that? I guess so. Yeah. And so that's one of the central tenets of my business is working with women to develop that sense of self-worth so that they know that they also deserve whatever's coming next to be great. 
And going back to my kids again, one of the things that I noticed, and actually that not only that I noticed, but they said directly to me, was when I started living from a place of heart-centered truth, you know, they said that I see you again. And also in setting myself free, I set them free as well. If they have said directly to me, we are so proud of the way that you live from your heart. And it has given them the opportunity to know that they also can live from their heart. And there's so much story wrapped up in, in self-sacrifice for women, especially mothers, right? That we have to sacrifice ourselves in, in service of our children. And there are times where that is true. And if you are living from a space that you would not want your daughter or your son to be living from, That's a really important awakening and noticing to say, if I don't want that for them, then why do I want it for myself? I love that. I love that. And that can be interpreted in many, many ways. Particularly, I do not want my daughter to, you know, she's 26 now. I do not want her living a stereotypical life. I I just don't want that for her. And sometimes I feel like because they they saw us living this stereotypical life that maybe she's kind of like, Oh, struggling. Cause I know she wants to not be that, you know, white picket fence and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, it's, I think that's, it's so interesting. So interesting. Okay. So you're, you're, you've got the, you've got the year off. You've been clearly going through your own transformation. And then you have this moment of, well, maybe there's other women that need the same transformation assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just knew, right? Like deep from the conversations I'd had with women in, in my life and from the lack of story, like we've talked about, right? The lack of knowledge and understanding. I also had, I am at early, I'm at the early stages of perimenopause, but I have had friends who are experiencing menopause and there was nothing for them. There was no support, even like the medical world. So I'm seeing all of this lack for women who are at our stage And also looking at these incredible women who I know and thinking, imagine what we could do in the world if we just could set ourselves free and know that we had value. And so that's where my podcast came from, Transforming 45, because I wanted to make a place where women could come and tell their stories of transformation. Because like I said earlier, the more our voices are out there collectively, the more we start making ripples to make that change. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, and that's exactly. So tell me what kind of conversations are on transforming 45. Mm -hmm. There's a whole, there is a range. Uh, One of the first ones I did was with a friend of mine who is a nutritionist And we talked about feeding the body to heal menopause symptoms because so much of our culture is around treating, but treating isn't healing. 
So we talked about healing. Uh, I've talked to women who are healers of all kinds of modalities. I spoke to a woman who lives off of the coast of BC, but on the US side. And she does work. She does a lot of really beautiful somatic work about coming back to our womb space and vulva. And then she paints, she paints pictures of vulva for women at the end of their process, at their end of their healing process. Uh, there are a vast range of stories, but what is consistent through all of them is that at some point that woman had to choose themselves. Oh God, I love it. I love it. And you know, that is, that is the message for sure on this podcast specifically is to finally, if you haven't chosen yourself in the past or even in the f- present right now, that to, to find that strength to choose yourself and it doesn't happen just overnight it you know it takes time and it's just one small habit at a time that eventually all of a sudden you're now okay I'm doing things for myself and I feel amazing and then it's to your point where you know all of a sudden your skin looks different you're glowing and you know yeah yeah there's I could tell you so many stories about when Mm -hmm. I first became a non-mom hustler And within like four or five months, I just focused on me and, you know, people were saying, man, you're glowing, you're glowing, you're glowing. And I just thought, oh God, really? Like, oh, maybe it's my hot flashes. But (laughs) honestly, though, it it wasn't, it was, I was finally, I I can't say, like, I can say I I was the happiest and, and, and have been the happiest that I've ever been. But I think it's, I mean, I was happy with my kids. But I think now it's just, holy cow, I just feel alive. I feel awake. And it's because I have taken those, that time for me. And even though some days I still feel selfish because I'm a self-proclaimed enabler, giver, whatever you want to call it, um, I very rarely take for myself. But it's definitely been an amazing adventure. So you've got Transforming 45. So it's a regular podcast that you you bring on guests and you talk about various things for, for women and their transformation process. So then that evolved into lean in or? Yeah, actually that part came first. So okay. lean in, finding your way home. It, that was a- the name of my business. Okay, so perfect. Lean in, finding your way home. And that that business name came to me in that first six weeks that I took off. Because to me, when I looked in the mirror and I saw myself again, I was like, oh, I'm home. This body is my home. I love it. And so many of us, because of the experiences that we've had, we live outside of our bodies. And the way to get back home is to lean into all of those experiences, the good, the bad, the hard, the shame. Mm-hmm. And it's through that authenticity and vulnerability that we're able to come back home to ourselves and to our one wild and precious body that we have. Mm-hmm. And so that was the inspiration for the business. And then I, I, I couldn't do this alone because there's so much in the coaching world that I had no idea about. I mean, as, as an educator, I had a ton of skills. I could do all the things, but I didn't know all the things that needed to be done. So I worked with a coach myself and 
put together and, and working with that coach actually was more about me. It was more about healing, the healing work that I needed to do so that I could come to my work from a well-resourced place. Mm-hmm. And once I was in a well-resourced place, then I just started, you know, one foot in front of the other social media posts, taking the courses that I needed to take to learn about the business and marketing side of this work. Because Mm -hmm. again, as an educator, I had a built-in audience. That wasn't something I ever had to work toward. The audience was always there. And so I had a lot to learn in those areas. And I still do. I mean, my business is very very young, Mm -hmm. right? It's really, I'm sort of at the eight month mark. And it's, Like you were saying, it's the happiest I've ever been. That doesn't mean it's not terrifying. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and there's days where, you know, we were talking earlier before we started recording, like Mm. this technology that you you need because you also have to market your business, right? You just can't, you know, start this business and then, oh, okay, everything's just going to come and great if it does, but (laughs) it's highly (laughs) unlikely that it will. Um, and so I love everything you're saying there. So first of all, you know, they, the, the idea when you're starting a business is to find something that you've either you've, you've done that you're very good at or you've taken yourself through a process and you've learned how to, you know, make you've made that transformation. And now you can start to show people how you did it. And I think that's honestly the authentic part of being a woman in her late forties and being able to have this sort of entrepreneurship movement, I guess, if you will. So you end up taking yourself through the processes. You, you're, you're, you're upskilling, which is something that I think we should be doing all of our lives is constantly upskilling, upskilling, upskilling. And then where were those moments of imposter syndrome um, oh my God, what am I, what have I done? Why am I thinking this? I'm just going to go back to school or back to being an educator. Uh, the going back part was never an option. Okay. So, and that Why was, is that? yeah, because it was destroying me and I will, I will give a lot of the credit of this also to my partner who has been remarkably supportive. Like, I don't want people to think I'm doing this on my own because I couldn't do this work completely on my own Mm -hmm. and support might like look like a number of different things, but I've been very lucky to have a partner who went, honestly, it was years ago that I said to him, I don't think I can be an educator for the rest of my life. And the first time I uttered that sentence, it scared him. And because that was sort of my part of the bargain, right? Like I brought all of this stability. I brought a pension. I brought benefits. I brought teaching. It's hard and consistent in terms of income. Right. Right. And right. And that's probably the number one thing that stops people from entering into the entrepreneurship world is this sort of sense, false sense of security, Right. And, you know, probably, you know, from an educator standpoint, anybody that's worked in government or whatever, sure. Yeah. The longer you're there, the better the pension. And that's kind of what's embedded in them. You know, that's what 
there was one way, you know, go work for the government and get my pension and then retire at 55, 60, 65 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So mm-hmm. what kind, what's, what, what were the conversations at the dinner table? Because I think there's a lot of women out there that would love to do something different, but they may not know how to have the conversation with their partner. Mm-hmm. And the conversations were not always they weren't always easy, but in the end, what happened over those, that period of a couple of years, he saw what the tension of this work was doing to me. And just the other day we were having this sort of reflective conversation because I do hold some guilt still around the fact that I have, I have cost our family some comfort. At this point, I know I have faith in myself and faith in my business that that will not always be the case. But right now it is, it is tenuous. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, but I would rather have you here. I got you back. And I know that what you were doing would, would have killed you. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. So it is being vulnerable enough. And that's, that is the hard work. Again, going back to that analogy of the mask of when we peel that back, that mask of we can do anything. We can be all things to all people, right? That story that was so deeply written for us, particularly, you know, growing up in the nineties and women can do all the things. And I love the women who paved the way for us. And also it made things impossible. So it takes being vulnerable enough to say, I can't be all things to all people. And I can't do everything by myself. And if I do, it will destroy me. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're on this journey, you, you're having some pretty powerful transform transformation moments, transformative moments. Where did you finally realize, God, there's got to be a million other women just like me who could be needing this as a process? Did you know you were going to create a coaching offer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes back to, so the last decade of my career, I was a coach for other educators. So I wasn't in the classroom. I prepared and delivered professional development. And it was through that experience, especially because educators predominantly are women. And as we were, as I was having these learning conversations professionally, of course, the personal starts to weave its way in as well. And I was meeting women who were going through like years before I went through it. So the seed had been planted where their children were going off to university and they were completely lost and had no idea who they were anymore. So through these conversations that had started happening in my professional worlds, mm-hmm. that seed was planted and I loved the coaching element of mm-hmm. the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. This working within the system became impossible, but the work itself I loved. So I needed to find a way that I could create that work in a way that where I felt whole and where I felt free because in the institutional setting, there were only small elements of myself that I could bring to that coaching work. 
And it was very wrapped up in the academic and I could sure I could bring my work experience to it, but there's a real boundary between wholeheartedness and what is deemed to be professional. Right. Uh, So that is what I wanted to create for my life. I wanted to be able to bring my whole self into the coaching work that I was doing. So I knew that coaching was what I wanted and I wanted to be free. Mm -hmm. You know, that's such a good word. And I'm, I'm going to ask you what kind of free did you want? Did you want time freedom, financial freedom, lifestyle freedom? I think we, we use the word, I just want to be free or I just want freedom. But I think we need to wrap it into a couple of specifics to drill down a little bit more. So what, is, what does free mean to you? Yeah, I think you make a really good point in making sure that we're specific about those things. And I wanted all of it. I had never been free, ever. Mm-hmm. I had you know, even when I was making decisions when I was younger about where I was going to go to university or what I wanted to do, we think we're making decisions out of freedom. But for the most part, we aren't. I still was making decisions that made other people happy. Right. Because it hadn't even registered to me that I could make a different choice. So in, ha- in never having freedom, I wanted all of the freedom. I wanted to have flexibility. I wanted to have financial freedom. I wanted to be able to choose. As an educator, I couldn't even choose when I went to the bathroom. I couldn't choose when I had holidays. So I wanted yeah. it. I want all the freedom. Mm-hmm. And there are days in my life now where all of that freedom is manifested and I can see it. I make all the choices. I don't have to ask anybody else about what happens in my business or not that I don't collaborate. Collaboration is key, but I get to make every decision. I get to decide when and how much I work. I get to decide what my content going out to the world looks like. I get to decide when I take a holiday. I get to decide when I go to the bathroom. Yep. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> and as, as crazy as that might sound, well done. Well done. Yeah. Okay. So you're now you're ready. You're ready to make an offer to the world based on your skills, your knowledge, and most importantly, your experiences. Mm-hmm. So uh, imposter syndrome, does it ever set in? Or do you think, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find my first client. Tell me about, tell me about securing your first client. Yeah. So that is where the imposter syndrome was for sure, because you're out there in the public presenting yourself as a coach who doesn't have any clients. Right. And everybody's (laughs) a coach these days, right? (laughs) Right. And and Mm -hmm. so that part I found really hard. And I had to lean into the fact that Lisa, you've been a coach for a decade. You have coached hundreds of women. It just wasn't under lean in finding your way home. That's right. And that was the self-talk I had to work through every day. Before every post, I would, you know, have to take that deep breath because I get that feeling of like, what are you doing? You are presenting yourself in this way and you don't have any clients. And so it was a deep breath and a trust in myself and my skills and my experience and doing it anyway. I did it anyway. I was scared and I did it anyway. Yeah. 
And so that was, that was the process. And it was, and I also, again, going back to collaboration, I'm grateful to the coach that I had at that time, who also was there for every time I had that sense of what am I doing? Right. She was there to keep me going Mm -hmm. and to remind me of all the work I had already done Mm -hmm. and, and what was possible. Exactly. Exactly. No, I love it. I love it. So where, tell me about your first client. Where did you find her? So my very first client was actually someone I had known for most of my life. Wow. Yeah. uh, Surprising. And because when I talk to people, generally the sense is that their, their first clients are people that they don't know. And my first clients actually were people who I did know and I had, and who had been in my life for a long time. And it was the, that they were going through exactly the same thing that I was, Mm -hmm. that they were grieving the loss of this role that they had had as mother and the work that I was putting out into the world, what the words that I was saying around that really resonated. And so they called, we had a connection call. I walked them through my process of what it looks like and what it feels like. And then we started working together. So tell me, and congratulations on that. Tell me what is usually the first thing that's causing people like, so your, your, your business is really to help women sort of get through the empty nester syndrome, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is that? Like, what is that thing that they, what's that? Is there like a common thing when it comes to empty nester syndrome? Yeah, it's those things that I was talking about before that like, I don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. I am afraid to ask the question because of the amount of disruption it might cause in my life. Correct. Wow. Wow. Say that again. I'm afraid to ask the question. I'm afraid to ask who am I and what do I want because of the disruption it could potentially cause in my life. Especially at that age where it's like midlife crisis. Like we... We, we sort of coined that midlife crisis, but honestly, like that's, I think that's probably why we are afraid to ask that question out loud because people don't want to say, oh, well, she's just going through a thing right now, you know, mm-hmm. let her figure it out. I mean, usually speaking of stereotypical, usually it means like a guy and he gets the Porsche or <laughs> trades in for a younger model kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Interesting. So, so that was, that was the second one. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just those questions of who okay. am I? What do I want? And the other thing that is really consistent is women who are looking for peace. Mm-hmm. They have been, their lives have been so turbulent as it has been for all of us mm-hmm. that our nervous systems just are constantly in overdrive. And so we have this feeling of never being able to settle. Of And I don't mean settle as in like settle for something, but being able to just ground into our bodies and feel okay. I just lost you. Your sound. Oh, okay. Oh, you're back. I'm back. Okay. On the, the topic of feeling or that feeling, I have a question for you. 
Mm-hmm. It was about three years ago that I remember saying to a friend, I don't know what it is, but I just need to feel something. I don't feel anything. And it's just wild. And his response was like, oh my God, you're the most spiritual, blah, blah, put together person I know. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Because I've had this facade. I always made it look really easy, but behind closed doors, it was chaos. It was anger. It was like everything. And, but yet I just make myself look good and okay, happy face, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did like, what do you suppose that is? And I sorry to put you on the spot there, but no, not at all. The that, need, the need yeah. to feel something. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's because it's that we have numbed ourselves for so long. So I, I did a podcast episode about this. And go with me on this little train for okay. a minute. So right. I did I a, I, sometimes I record episodes that are just me and I'm not interviewing someone. Love it. And this was one of those. And I had been looking at my content and it had been kind of, it had been a little bit heavy for a little while. And I first started thinking like, I just want to do something that's fun. And I love music. And so I started thinking about like, oh, I wonder what the soundtrack of my life would be. And so I started I was like, oh, that's a fun, that would be something fun and light and fluffy to record. Let's do that. So I started thinking about the songs. And as I started going through this process to figure out what the song, initially I wanted to do my life in 10 songs and I couldn't do it. It ended up being 15, actually 16. I cheated a little bit. (laughs) I love it. I love it. As I was going through this process, I realized that as I, so I, created the list of songs. I created the actual playlist. And then one day I went down and I sat and I listened to the playlist from top to bottom and I didn't multitask. I sat and was present in each song. And as I heard each song, I could feel what I felt when that song had the impact on me that it had. So You know, one of the songs I talk about is like that early, your first love, right? Mm -hmm. When when you're an early teenager and I could feel the rain on my skin. I could feel as I was going through the story of that relationship, I could like feel the fabric that the couch was. I could feel the heart flutter. I could feel all of those sensory moments. And a friend of mine asked me, as I was talking about the process, she said, did you notice that there's a time in your life where most of the songs were from? And I said, yes, actually. Okay. And they were from the time I was 16 until I was about 19. And when you think about your development and what's happening to you in that time, you're, it's, when, it's when you're really starting to go out into the world on your own and you're so aware of so many things. And as I was listening to this music and being back in that time, I was like, I was feeling, I was feeling all of it. And I thought if I can feel sensory memories from the past, then maybe I can use this to feel again in my life now. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And so I actually wrote a journal um, where it walks you through that process of writing like your song, your 
life story as a soundtrack in 15 songs. And then there's a hundred day practice of choosing one song every day to use as a touch point to be back in your body, to to be present, to reconnect and to feel in ways that we haven't let ourselves feel in a long time. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. You know, it reminds me, I did, I had a guest on, um, it was a male guest, actually. It was a, one of my, from elementary school, um, but he does some coaching as well. And so I had him on my podcast, but he was talking to me about how he was at a wedding one day and the hokey pokey came mm-hmm. on and he went, Oh my God. Well, actually, I think his words were, holy shit. I just had a moment where I thought, this is my freaking life. It's the hokey pokey and I have to get off the hokey pokey. (laughs) And so we talked about that, you know, about there's those things, those moments that, that change you. But yeah, I, you know, I love, I love that the 15 songs that best represent who you are and, and those little forceful moments of being present and yeah amazing amazing Lisa you have been amazing thank you I love how present you are and how in tune you are with the way you think and feel and act I think your business is going to be spectacular Um, I wish you all the best with it and hopefully I can have you back on the podcast maybe in a six months or so and we can see where you where you're at Um, but where can people find you on perhaps the social media platform or your website? Yeah, they can find me everywhere. I'm on all the places. So I'm at Lisa boat on TikTok, on Instagram. Uh, I have a Facebook group, uh, lean in finding your way home. My podcast transforming 45 is on Spotify and on Apple podcasts. And I also have a website, leaninfindhome.com where you can find all the things. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you again for gracing me with your lovely presence. And I will be touching base with you in the next few months and we can see where we can go from there. Yeah, I would love that. This has been a fabulous conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. 